Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, Ryan here. We are running an awesome contest right now on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. We're giving away two cosmic passes to AlienCon Pasadena, which runs March 4th and 5th. These passes give you and a guest all-access programming at AlienCon. You get early access to the vendor hall, guaranteed access to the main stage presentations and panels, and free autograph and photograph sessions. This is over a $600 value and can be yours. Head on over to our Instagram, at SomewhereSkiesPod, and Twitter, at SomewhereSkies, to learn more about how you can enter the contest. Deadline is Tuesday, February 28th at 11.59pm. The winner will be announced on our Instagram and Twitter on March 1st. Curious about what's beyond our planet? AlienCon is a weekend-long exploration into the unexplained mysteries that exist between science fact and science fiction. Featuring experts from Ancient Aliens, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, The Unexplained, and The Proof is Out There. It'll be a jam-packed opportunity to explore the unexplained mysteries of all areas of history, archaeology, science, and current events. Join a community of your fellow seekers and enthusiasts who come together to consider, theorize, discuss, and celebrate. March 4th and 5th in Pasadena, California. To learn more about AlienCon, visit TheAlienCon.com. Contest winner receives cosmic passes only, travel and lodging not included. Be sure to enter right now on Instagram or Twitter. Good luck and keep looking up. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here from Somewhere in the Skies, and I hope you enjoy this very fascinating interview we had with Navy pilot Alex Dietrich. However, I do have to make a disclaimer for this interview, and I don't have to do this often, but my audio during this interview was really bad, as you're going to hear. It's very clear that my microphone was not working at the time, and Alex was a trooper. She sounds great. She's the one that truly matters in the interview. So yeah, I just wanted to let you know that and warn you ahead of time of how and why my audio was so bad. We tried to clean it up. It was impossible. 
Um, but yeah, it's going to sound a little different than it does right now, which probably sounds much better. So yeah, just wanted to let you know that ahead of time. But first and foremost, I hope you enjoy the interview. It was a true honor to speak with Alex. And as always, I just want to say, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Enjoy. I should let my audience know we're here with Alex Dietrich, um, the the Navy pilot who's part of the famous Tic Tac UFO event, guys. Um, so first of all, Alex, I have to thank you for doing this. I know we've been going back and forth for a while now. You are so kind to um, show off one of the T-shirts that we have in our store as well. So that meant the world to me. So I have to thank you for that as well. But thank you for being here today. Thank you. And I love the art. Uh, you know, Ben is a, a talented artist and uh, I, th- I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, the, the t-shirt campaign. Uh, and, you know, as I said before, it's uh, it's a fun conversation starter. If I'm not wearing a t-shirt, uh, you know, folks say, oh, that's cool. What's that about? And I say, oh, have you ever seen a UFO? Uh, and it's fascinating to see people's responses. You know, uh, I've actually had a, a lot of folks uh, respond, people I wouldn't expect uh, say, yeah, I've seen something weird or I've um, had these, these experiences. And, um, and some people say no. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, yeah it, it is what it is. I think, you know, but that's such a good point. Like nowadays um, it's not, it's okay to say UFO. It's okay for someone like me, who's been studying this my whole life to like, proudly say i'm a ufo researcher it wasn't like that i could tell you that much like 10 years ago uh but now i can like scream it from the rooftops and people are like oh yeah like that's a real thing now isn't it and i'm kind of like it's been a real thing for a while now it's just now um people are beginning to acknowledge it and a lot of that has to do with uh you coming forward and many other military personnel having the courage to do the same thing. And, uh, and not only that, but uh, being accessible to whether it's the mainstream media or, you know, in alternative sort of podcasts, independent podcasts like myself. So uh, that means a lot, I think, to our community that you're willing to have these conversations and uh, try to understand what these things are, try to understand what it was that you saw and, that many other people around the world are seeing as well. So I have to thank you for that first and foremost. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I, I certainly um, can't take credit. I have found myself unwittingly thrust into this situation. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's interesting that so many people say, oh, thank you for coming forward and thank you for... Uh, I, I have never um, identified as a whistleblower or... I, you know, in, in my narrative, I, I didn't come forward. I was just worn down <laughs> by all of the uh, inquiries and requests uh, for interviews and, and engagement. Um, you know, it started, uh, gosh, you know, a decade ago when there was a leak and um, my name got out there associated with the, the Nimitz encounter. Uh, and I was active duty. Uh, and I was also, uh, you know, having kids and, and pregnant and not really feeling camera, uh, 
camera ready uh, and, you know, just felt vulnerable in, in several ways. And so uh, declined interviews and uh, it wasn't until 60 Minutes approached me uh, right at the, the tipping point of my career when I was retiring in that spring of 2021. Uh, I was retiring, I was moving cross country, I was having all these other transitions and I thought, well, you know, maybe I can just do one and be done, uh, you know, do it. <laughs> an interview on a, a major platform and uh, it's it's reputable, you know, respectable, uh, respectable show and, and journalists and uh, they do their due diligence and research and they have a team of lawyers that look at it to make sure everything's, uh, you know, just right. And uh, that was certainly naive of me to think that <laughs> I could just do the whole interview and be done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't identify as a UFO person, and I don't, um, uh, you know, f- feel any ownership about the Nimitz encounter. You know, I was an eyewitness to uh, what happened there that day. But um, I really, after after that, uh, you know, the, the few days of excitement uh, that followed, I forgot about it. Uh, you know, it wasn't on my mind. I certainly wasn't. Uh, trying to figure it out or anything until um, you know several years later when uh, the Office of Naval Intelligence folks contacted me and they were doing their investigation and their follow-up. So, um, you know, every time I would get the call uh, from the Pentagon or, you know, to go to Congress or, um, you know, eventually the, the reporters and, and media that interest, uh, I was surprised. You know, know, they'd sort of start word blasting and and talking uh, as if I had been having this conversation all these years. Uh, And it would take me a minute to say, wait, what are you talking about? Oh, oh, yes. okay, yeah, the the UFO thing. Um, And so, of course, in the last uh, year and a half, it's been uh, more of a frenzy. Uh, And then the last two weeks, it's been downright absurd. (laughs) Right. Well, that and that's really interesting. I, I'm happy you um, you answered that because quite a few of our listeners wanted to know, like, does this weigh on your mind? Was this something like me? I had nightmares about my UFO encounter for like years after. But like a lot of people wanted to know, did this become a big part of your life? Did you think about it a lot? So that is really interesting to hear hear you say that. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, I, know, I certainly I, I do have a series of recurring nightmares that have nothing to do with this. Um, you know, I, I did deployments, uh, flying deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan, close air support for the troops on the ground there. Uh, and then I went back in 2010 as a provincial reconstruction team engineer uh, for a year boots on ground. Uh, you know, my, my skipper was a Navy SEAL. My senior enlisted was a SEAL. Uh, the OPSO was a, an army helo guy. I mean, it was a very different team than a carrier-based squadron uh, where you, you know, come back to sort of the comforts of the, the aircraft carrier and the safety. Um, we were sleeping. We were camping with guns, uh, you know, in and among the, the folks there. And um, it was a much more dynamic experience. I felt much more uh, vulnerable and I uh, was very glad to come back with all my bits and pieces. Uh, yeah. And then the subsequent fallout, right? So uh, trying to get our um, our Afghan interpreters, our, our linguists and cultural advisors evacuated. Uh, you know, they were at high risk uh, 
after working with us so closely. Uh, we managed to get a few of them, uh, but there are still uh, families and um, others that we care about who are stuck in the aftermath of uh, our abrupt pullout uh, of that summer of 2021, um, which that, that has been a, an ongoing nightmare. So, um, you know, there are other things that weigh on my, my mind. Uh, I don't know if you can see in the background, I'm sitting in a construction zone at a, at a personal sob story. Um, we had a whole house flood uh, <laughs> uh, Christmas Eve um, with that big bomb cyclone storm that, that rolled through um, we turned up our thermostat and we opened our faucets, but the sprinkler lines and the ceiling froze and burst. Um, and then I had breast cancer last year. So it's a good news story. They caught it early, but I had a full mastectomy, um, which was a, a series of procedures and, um, you know, a lot of appointments to, to take care of that. So to answer your question, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, event that happened in November of 2004 uh, was exciting at the moment, but in the uh, arc of my life, <laughs> it was just a, a small uh, blip. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and well, thank you for sharing all yeah. of that. I, I can't even imagine the challenges you've gone through and the resilience it takes to make it through things like that. So it, it does make perfect sense that's life mining, uh, but you know life life goes on and you know absolutely I, I was a lieutenant junior grade I wasn't even a full lieutenant at the time uh, that that happened and um, you know we were the exercise that we were doing off the coast of San Diego was in preparation of our deployment uh, and so you know we we were flying these maneuvers and and integrating with the ship the, the squadrons the air wing uh working with the aircraft carrier to make sure that um, everything is running smoothly. And then we deployed. We went out on a Westpac deployment, so uh, headed out, and we had all these port calls and these uh, exotic places um, that I had never been to before, and, and that was great. Hong Kong, Kuala Lumpur, Dubai, Bahrain, uh, Chennai, India, Australia, Guam, uh you know, Hawaii, not, you know, exotic in its own way, but still U.S. Um, but so, you know, November 2004, then 2005 was, was uh, you know, already very uh, busy and, and rich with experiences and things that had a bigger impression in my mind in terms of, um, you know what are what are we doing here? What what's the purpose uh, and mission uh, that we're that we're focused on in this post nine eleven uh, Navy? You know to deter aggression and when deterrence fails to fight and win our nation's wars. Uh, and then how do I contribute to that? How do I uh, contribute in a meaningful way? And uh, and then exposure to this this world uh, and all these cultures uh, and languages and people. That uh, you know, I, I read about and uh, heard about, but had never really been immersed in before. So, uh, yeah. Ever since then, you know, I've had, like I said, multiple deployments. I've traveled, um, went to grad school, uh, had three children. <laughs> you know, wow. 
lots of lots of life in in the interim. So I know yeah. I do not sit around thinking about the tic tac and uh, <laughs> my dreams. That is fair enough. Life goes on. I love that. Um, it's and we're all about kind of the human human uh, nature to a lot of this and. For many people, like you said, either it changes their life and it becomes a huge part, or some people are just like, no, that was a, that that is a thing that happened. Um, moving on. So I totally, I totally understand that. Um, well, I gotta ask you, you you mentioned, you know, what's currently going on in the past few weeks. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on that as a as a pilot and um seeing what's going on in the United States right now. I know this had a lot to do with the article that you wrote at the debrief as well. Um, it, it seemed like perfect timing for an article like yours to come out um, right now in the U.S. where we're shooting things down for the first time in U.S. history um, in terms of what NORAD has done and whatnot and uh, and all that. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of my convoluted way of asking what do you make of everything going on right now with these pilots shooting these things down? We're not able to recover this wreckage of these these objects. What is your kind of, I guess, overall perspective of what's going on right now, Alex? Mm. That's a big question. It <laughs> is. A question. Uh, and I, I hope that I addressed it in the, the op-ed that I wrote and the debrief so kindly published. Uh, which is that, uh, you know, we need to be systematic and methodical uh, in approaching, and we, we shouldn't be lumping all of these objects together. Uh, we should say this is an object uh, or, or an interesting uh, radar hit. Uh, let's collect as much information as we can and uh, deal with it uh, in context. Uh, okay, next object next object, next object. So I wouldn't, um, and I, and I, it would be irresponsible to suggest that they're all of the same origin or that they are all of the same technology. Um, but if we, if we zoom out, uh, and widen the aperture, then we can say, okay, we, we need to have a systematic method of reporting. We need to have a way for someone in Montana who's out minding their business and notices something that they can't categorize, they can't classify, we, we need to have a way for them to snap a photo or just record their observation and give them some of, again, a template or a structure uh, to say, you know, what was the color, what was the shape, what was the time of day? Was, was, what were the weather conditions? Uh, did you have somebody with you? Is there another witness who can corroborate this or maybe has a different angle, a different perspective? Um, and then what do you do with that? So where do we hold that information? Uh, and, and until we have a system where we can collect and then analyze uh, you know, I don't think that we're going to be able to to make sense of any of it. Ideally, we would have you know a one eight hundred number, an app, a website where everybody can report these objects, and that 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 system, in much the same way that 
uh, chat GPT and, and these other AI natural language processing uh, machine learning systems do, uh, they can filter out the the pranks or the chaff, uh, the stuff that, that isn't relevant um, in order to say, hey, there's something here, there's something there, there, uh, and, and even get to the point where we can predict, where we might say, uh, based off of all of these other hits that we're getting, um, we might expect to see something over here. And so let's get our sensors ready. Let's get folks out there with their binoculars and their, not just their iPhone uh, or, or smartphone cameras, but some really uh, high resolution, uh, big lens. You know, that's what one of the complaints I always get is, uh, why don't we have better pictures? Uh, why don't we have better images or video of this stuff? And I said, well, if you're driving down the highway, 60 miles an hour and you look over and you see Bigfoot, (laughs) you know, it takes you a minute to get your phone out and your battery's dead and (laughs) you have to do a U-turn and you go back, you know, and and then you end up with this blurry picture or no picture at all, but you're pretty sure you saw uh, a Sasquatch on the side of the road. So, you know, people don't, you never expect to, to encounter a UFO. Right. Uh, (laughs) It happens when you least expect it. And um, so if we could collect the information in a way where we might have some predictive modeling, uh, where we could get sensors and and folks out and ready, um, then maybe we might have uh, the images that we're looking for. Mm. And and there's other, you know, besides uh, visual eyewitness testimony and and photos and video, you know, we have radar uh, sensors, we have FLIR, we have... Uh, other means to collect information uh, on these unidentified events. Um, but again, it's all about the the collection. It's all about the the gathering of information. Right. Right. And I think that's kind of the uh, reactionary, uh, what would you even call it, uh, announcements by the president that we saw recently, too, uh, that they're going to establish an interagency to kind of look at these things from both a sort of policy making uh, approach and also data collecting, like you mentioned. They established an office within the Department of Defense to do just that. So it couldn't, again, come at a better time than for an organization like Arrow, this new group established. Um to be like, hey, established before the the last <laughs> right, week. yeah. So the the arrow uh, DOD, and then there was, you know, the president announced that there's going to be this interagency tax task force, but there were already efforts in the fall. Um, I was fortunate to um, attend the first meeting of the NASA Independent Study, uh, so it was hosted by NASA. Uh, okay. Sort of um, provided the conference room, <laughs> and then all the folks that that were invited and showed up represented DoD and the FAA uh, and these academics, not just from NASA but from um, institutions across the uh, not only the country but across the globe, uh, as well as private industry. So they had folks there to talk about, um, you know, these are the satellite capabilities that we have and. 
Um, this is the way that we can analyze the, the big data. Um, there was a brief from a, a gentleman from, um, I think it was Fermilab or CERN, you know, the, the large uh, particle colliders. Yeah, yeah. Saying, hey, this is how we found the Higgs boson particle, the God particle. Uh, you know, we, we were smashing uh, atoms and, and doing the... the um, the physics, uh, but it ended up with this avalanche of data. Uh, and so here's how we found the needle in the haystack. Here's how we uh, took that information and, uh, you know, made it not just manageable, but relevant uh, to the question that we were asking. And so I was really heartened to see, uh, and there was a, a two-day conference, uh, full days, and, um, you know, the the head of NASA, Senator Nelson, um, came in in the evening and, and sort of gave us a pep talk about, uh, you know, the commitment and, and um, the relevance of, of the topic. And I was I was really glad to see all of these, um, you know, high-ranking, respected individuals from their uh, respective institutions coming together and asking the philosophical questions of, um, you know, why, why do we care? Why is this important? Uh, you know, sort of moving beyond the question of are UAPs a thing? Are UFOs a thing? And that's part of why I was there is to say, Hey, we saw something weird. (laughs) Uh, Couldn't explain it. And it's been almost 20 years and we still can't explain it. Uh, so, if anything, we should be able to uh, identify something that's operating in close proximity to a military exercise and close proximity to our our borders, uh, especially in a post nine eleven era. So we we moved beyond that question of are UAPs real? They are real because we're seeing things that we can't identify, and by definition, that's it's unidentified. Uh, and then, like, what do we do about it, right? So, and and that's a loaded question because then you get into the, uh, you know, well, who's responsible? Who has jurisdiction? Is it, you know, is it the DOD? Is it a national security issue? Or is it the FAA? Because it's a safety of flight issue. And then all the scientists say, well, we want <laughs> science with a capital yeah. F. Know, that we uh, need to have access to all of the data and information. Um, and then who pays for it? So, you know, all the industry folks were there saying, hey, we've got all these tools. You're welcome to apply them to this question. Uh, and somebody's got to pay that bill. So uh, if we're going to um, reserve time, you know, in that satellite or uh, on that supercomputer for crunching the data, uh, once it's downloaded, uh, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta fund it. Um, yeah. and, and then ultimately, you know, folks, especially, I think a lot of your viewers are going to say, well, who has access? Uh, so if we're using the, the satellites and we're, we're using the supercomputers and we're, um, uh, f- you know, funding the, the manpower arrow or the FAA UAP office, then, um, you know, we want to be able to access that information uh, and have transparency. And uh, and so there were a lot of questions that were asked. And in that first session, there were very few, uh, if any, answers. 
Um, but Welcome to UFOs, yeah. I have several other meetings uh, planned, and I uh, expect that they will, uh, especially given the recent activity and interest, um, I expect that they'll make progress. Awesome. Yeah, and I think what your article pointed out, too, is um, these efforts for cohesion, whether it's military UFO encounters, uh, whether it's something NASA has been tracking or, or doing, or the public, like you mentioned, commercial pilots are seeing these things. And now with the work of people like Ryan Graves and whatnot, they they will soon have somewhere to report these things and talk about them. And then, like you mentioned in your article, too, you have something like Enigma Labs that's showing up where anyone can then submit their UFO sighting or a report. And like you said, kind of bringing all of this together so that the data sets work together. Like why have just military encounters? Why just have NASA anomalous things happening? Why have, you know, Joe Smith in Cincinnati uh, in his UFO encounter too? Like all of the data should be put together for these scientists, uh, in my opinion. So it was really invigorating to see you kind of point out like, these are the different groups looking at this topic in different ways, but how can we bring all that data together to find a better understanding instead of the stove piping that we often see with a lot of this stuff. So yeah, kudos on that as well. Thanks. Yeah. There's, there are a lot of stakeholders for sure. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned Enigma labs. So this is a new, uh, really a tech startup. Uh, they're, you know, folks, software engineers out of Silicon Valley uh, and some sort of business folks out of New York city with no history in the UFO uh, space. Uh, and it's refreshing because like me, they have this sort of neutral, um, just objective approach to what is often a, a, an emotionally charged or, uh, you know, otherwise uh, sort of, you know, people get real hyped about <laughs> the conversation. But they said, hey, uh, let's make an app. Let's, uh, you know, just like the tech companies in Silicon Valley do. They say, it's very 2023, uh, yeah. You know, there's no app for this? Okay, here's a here's a, a niche in the market. Uh, let's jump on it. And so they started up, um, I think, you know, early last year. And um, then they reached out to me in the fall and they said, you know, we like, uh, we like your style, you know, that you have this very uh, sort of rational, um, you know, let's, let's gather the information and see if we can make sense of it approach uh, without jumping to conclusions, without uh, sort of imposing a narrative on it. And uh, they asked me to be their first advisor. Uh, so it's an unpaid role. I know folks are, are interested in that. They say, oh, you know, what's the... Who's <laughs> getting paid? Yeah, yeah I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, you're in, <laughs> and and um, as far as I know, they don't have any contracts with any government agencies yet, um, you know, but I wouldn't blame if, if they were, um, you know, pursuing that, especially after the last two weeks, because there's a, there's a need here. There's a need for um, a, a sort of... Um, easy to use, you know, an, an interface for uh, folks like you or me or, um, you know, the, the guy down the street to uh, report. And so um, I, I realized that there are some other groups that are, uh, you, you mentioned MUFON, and I think there's a few others that are established um, 
unfortunately, you know, they have a, uh, um, how do I put this diplomatically? Uh, you know, they have, they have a reputation and they have, um, an agenda associated with them that, that doesn't have that very sort of crisp, clean, neutral, um, center, uh, approach. And they don't have the technology. So again, what Enigma Labs brings is this very modern, modernized uh, approach and uh, saying, hey, we can, we can do this at scale uh, and we can bring in the AI, artificial intelligence, the ML, the machine learning, the NLP, the natural language processing, and that big data analytics uh, to, to handle um, the types, of, the scale of reporting that, that they hope to ingest through their app. So, um, yeah, I, I wish them success. And, uh, and I hope that some of these other folks in, in the space will step up, right? Because that's what's great about uh, our, our model in America is that competition will drive uh, excellence in, um, in the technology and in the, the services provided. So, um, yeah, I hope that we see some other apps that uh, can hopefully drive the again yeah, sort of advance this <laughs> advance yeah. conversation and advance our abilities in this area. Right, right. There's a a motivation to continue learning, and I think that's like you mentioned, it is very American. But at the same time, like there's a reason anywhere in the world you see a Starbucks next to a Dunkin' Donuts. Like there needs to be competition. So I get it. I get it. Um, that's awesome, Alex. Well, I'm really excited. Um, I'm really happy to have uh, seen the positive nature of the article that you released because I think a lot of people in the past few weeks, primarily in the UFO community, if you want to call it that, uh, have felt very deflated because they think now everything's going to be a Chinese surveillance balloon or everything's going to be a drone. But in reality, like that's what we're trying to do is explain these unidentified, no matter what they are, prosaic or, or otherwise. Um, so I think, you know, more than really being about the UFOs themselves, what are these things? Um, your, your article shows that there's many different ways that we can go about answering those questions. And the answer might not be extraterrestrial. The answer might not be time travelers from the future. The answer might not be Russian or Chinese surveillance technology. It could be something that we haven't even scratched the surface of. But um, we're taking those those baby steps. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of my my final, I promise, my final endorsement of the article. <laughs> um, well, hey, those were my questions for you. I have... So many listener questions for you. I doubt we'll even get to all of them. Um, but would you be okay sticking around for some of these? Yes, let's do it. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week. But if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, 
To learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Be as rapid fire as you want or as deep as you want. Or if you don't want to answer it, you let me know. Um, let's see here. I'm going to start with... Uh, this is a cool one. Dreamland XR on Twitter asks, Alex, what or who inspired you to join the Navy? And who are some of the influential people in your life? Oh, man. Uh, do, we have a, do we have another hour? <laughs> I know. Probably, probably the worst question I could have started with, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, so I... I'm 43 this year, uh, and I came of age uh, in a in a pre 9/11 era, a pre 9/11 world. And I uh, I went to a boarding school for high school, uh, a math and science focused uh, academy, and everybody was expected to go to college, and everybody was expected to be you know an engineer or doctor or have that sort of math and science STEM, um, you know, propelled into that world. And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, sort of, I didn't have that clear vision or anybody really pressuring me to, to go in a particular direction. And so, um, Mr. Hernandez, uh, our our college and career guidance counselor, he said, "Al, you gotta chick, you gotta choose something. You gotta, you can't be an undeclared uh, major. You know, you gotta pick a school. You've gotta pick pick a track. You've gotta get on it." Uh, and we went, you know, round and round. And I said, "You know, I don't know." And um, he said, well, "How about this? Picture yourself when you're 40. And look back, and what do you want to have accomplished? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll play. Uh, <laughs> and he said, you know, where do you want to be, and, and what do you want to have done? And I said, 
well, all the 40 year olds I know are divorced and, you know, on their second career and get, going through a midlife crisis. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what I meant. Uh, but I said, no, this is good. This is good. Uh, you know, I appreciate this. Uh, you, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go and have my adventure, get my midlife crisis out up front while I'm young and, and single and, and healthy and all that. And so, um, that's why I uh, said, you know, I want to go be a, a fighter pilot in the Navy and travel the world and have a big adventure and um, do something cool, you know, flying jets. And, um, I graduated from college and, and commissioned in May of 2001, went to ground school that summer, uh, and then I had my first flight on 9-11. So... That whole, you know, it's all about me and my selfish adventure and, and doing something cool, you know, that in an instant I realized um, it's not about me and that I'm a part of something bigger than myself and, and I need to figure out how to contribute in a meaningful way. So, um, yeah, there was a paradigm shift, you know, for the world, definitely, when, when the planes hit. Um, but for me, you know, as, as an individual, I sort of had that, that moment. So um, I've, had, I've had countless, you know, mentors and coaches, and uh, my grandmothers were very influential in, uh, you know, my early years. And, yeah, I, again, we could do a whole other show. Uh, <laughs> but, no, that's, but that's cool. I, I will Mr. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Shane on Patreon, uh, our patron members get priority to ask our guests questions as well. Um, he asks, while viewing the Tic Tac, did you come away with the impression that the object was mechanical or organic? That's a good question. Uh, and I can't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. It's, we don't know what it was. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would, it would be irresponsible of me to, to suggest either way. That's fair. Yeah. And I do apologize in advance. You're probably going to get a lot of Tic Tac questions. Yeah, sure. I'm sure you, you kind <laughs> of uh, expected that yes. here on a UFO podcast, but, um, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, let's see. Lyle on YouTube asks, was the cap point to which the UAP flew a point? Uh, was it a point that had been used previously during these exercises, which would suggest the object had been monitoring operations or was it a novel previously unused cap point, which would suggest something much more disturbing and extraordinary? Um, so I get, I get a lot of questions about this cap point point, <laughs> the, this point in the story. And uh, this is another thing where I'm not going to, um, lead anybody down a path of, of this way or that in, in the thinking. Um, and I don't know, but I'm wondering whether the radar operator, the controller, the air traffic controller who was giving us vectors and and talking us through what they were seeing in order for us to uh, merge with the the Tic Tac originally, um, 
and have our, our engagement. Um, and then when we lost visual and, uh, and said, you know, what's the picture or, or what are you seeing on your radar? I haven't confirmed this with the radar operator, but I'm wondering whether they used the cap point as a reference mm. because we knew what it was. I don't know whether it was, you know, exactly at the cap point or whether it was near it. And they just use that as an anchor. Um, so, yeah, the cap point gets a, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of time and energy spent on that, on that. And it's something that I can't, I can't speak to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Irish scientist, I love this name, on Twitter asks, Pilots often report that the debunkers are coming to conclusions based on an incomplete understanding of aviation and the military in general. What are some of their biggest misunderstandings in this regard? Biggest misunderstandings? Um, I'm not sure. I would. I'm not sure. Can you? Does he provide any examples of? Let's see. I think what they're sort of. Um, Let's see. I I'll edit this. Obviously, um, the debunkers yeah. are coming. To- so the, the 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 problem there is assuming that I'm following the conversation with all the debunkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, this is one of those where you know there's there's a lot of uh, chatter on the net. We would say. Um, yeah. So and I just I don't I don't get drawn into those you know sort of tit for tat conversations and um yeah i'm not really sure what the debunkers are are suggesting or or where they're uh misunderstanding or or lack of understanding of the technology lies it's hard i mean it's hard to um it's hard to relay in a in a tweet or in a short uh, post or, or even a, a quick conversation on a podcast, um, all of the uh, technical and tactical uh, knowledge that you that you learn in in flight school uh, over the course of years. Right, you have primary, you have ground school, aviation pre-flight indoctrination, uh, and then you have primary flight training intermediate flight training, advanced flight training, your fleet replacement squadron, and then you're in your, um, in your, your fleet squadron going on these missions and deployments in the real world. So, I mean, it's years that you're, you're spending, uh, at the controls, getting those site pictures, uh, understanding again, those tactics and maneuvers. Uh, so, um, I don't know. What, what exactly the debunkers are, are claiming or suggesting, um, but it would be hard for them. Um, it would it'd be hard for me to, to counter any points if they were worthy of being countered um, just because it's, um, you know, we have tacit knowledge and explicit knowledge. Explicit is that which can be, uh, you know, sort of written down in a, a handbook or a checklist and, uh, explained. Um, tacit is all of that. Um, that other knowledge that you get through experience and mm-hmm. it, it's very hard to relay. Yeah. 
Well, and I think this this question is a prime example of, um, you know, the lack of data that um, either end of a debate might have. You know, I, I, I know a lot of people are very uh, vocal about their not skepticism, but their uh, their questions they have of the whole Tic Tac event. Someone like McWest, for instance, a, a skeptic that a lot of people turn to um, <laughs> or hate. And uh, he is the first to admit that, you know, until we have sufficient data um, with this event, you know, out in the public for scientists and and analysts to look at, um, it's not, we're not going to get any answers. So I, I think, again, this is just a prime example of no matter which side of the debate you're on, it's the lack of data that really keeps it going, keeps that, uh, that not knowing going, <laughs> that makes sense. I have no interest in convincing Mick West or any debunkers uh, about, you know, what we saw that day in November of 2004, uh, I, in the moment, had a real sense of urgency and wanted to, to convince and communicate to the people back on the ship, uh, the other air crew in my squadron, uh, the intelligence team, again, on the ship, on the aircraft carrier, uh, and the chain of command, uh, which for me, uh, my commanding officer of my squadron was the other pilot in in the encounter. So Commander David Fraber was... Um, you know, my immediate chain of command. Uh, and so that was, you know, <laughs> check, that's done. Um, but after that, you know, that day, that moment uh, where we felt this vulnerability, where we felt, you know, if this is an adversary, um, they're, they're here, they're, they're, they're messing with our, our military training exercise, and they're right here off the coast of San Diego with all of these, these civilians, um, in a, in a, you know, we, this was 2004. It wasn't that long after the events of 9/11. So we certainly had that um, sort of spidey sense of uh, if there's something here in our skies and we don't know what it is. As military, we're conditioned to think friend or foe. So, uh, you know, foe <laughs> is our is our uh, assumption or conclusion when we can't identify it. Um, but after that that day and that period, you know, I I have no interest in convincing anybody about what I saw that day. What I do have interest in is is giving other folks, uh, you know, to, to normalize the topic, to reduce the stigma, and to give folks and encourage, uh, you know, those government agencies and. Um, folks who have uh, the means to establish that systematic reporting, uh, whether it's a, a, a app or a channel or a website, you know, having a way for other eyewitnesses to report what they see and to make sense of that. So um, I don't really care whether we figure out what we saw in November of 2004. Uh, and I certainly don't care if McWest... <laughs> knows what we saw in November 2004, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, it's 2023 now. What matters is whether, you know, somebody sees something weird, do they know how to report it? Can we respond? Can we react uh, with the appropriate level of 
whether it's sensors or kinetic response, right? We've shot down a few things recently that, you know, I have full full faith and confidence that uh, those crews that were deployed, um, you know, that they weren't shooting at random targets, <laughs> that there was a, a positive identification made and uh, that they uh, took the appropriate action. So my concern is that whether it's air crew or uh, operators on the ground or civilians, um, that if you see something, you're able to say something, and that we have a systematic way to report and make sense of those somethings yeah. in the future. Oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, ASM on Twitter asks, has Alex heard of an event that's similar to hers that isn't publicly known yet? Have any other pilots come to you and been like, yeah, we've encountered these things as well? Or how does that work? Has there been a response since you've come forward from other pilots? Well, again, you know, I don't consider myself to have come forward or to be um, sort of trying trying to um, evangelize on the topic. Uh, But what's been interesting is since the 60 minutes piece aired in the spring of 2021, I have been contacted by a lot of folks who said, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not crazy. (laughs) You don't seem crazy. uh, And I don't think I'm crazy. uh, But I had this experience and I didn't know where to go with it. I didn't know who to share it with or how to report it or I was afraid of the stigma Um, you know, whether it's, you know, I have this serious job uh, and I'd be afraid of what people would think or or losing my job or, um, you know, I'm I'm part of a a religious organization and, um, you know, this is antithetical to to that faith system and I wouldn't want anybody in my community or my neighbors to know that I'm a UFO person um, because it has that... um, that sort of taboo uh, stigma associated with it. Um, so I've, I've, I have received a lot of DMs and, and messages where they just, they want to share their story. They, they kind of say, you know, I've been carrying this around. Uh, I didn't know where to put it. And now, you know, you seem like someone that could hold this with me. Um, or if I tell it to you, then it's off, you know, I said some. I saw something, and I said something, and now it's <laughs> moving on. Yeah. Um, and back in 2021, I said um, to the folks at the, um, I guess it was a tip at the time, but now it's again sort of transitioning into this arrow, um, uh, more comprehensive office. But uh, you know the the points of contact at the Pentagon that I have. Um, I said, hey, what do you? I'm getting all these (laughs) reports. Uh, You know, some of them are really old, but some of them are are relatively recent. What do you want me to do with them? Like, where do you want me to put them? Is there a a Google sheet (laughs) or something that you want me to? And they said, well, just hang on to them for now. Um, And so, yeah, again, that's why I'm, um, when Enigma Labs said, hey, we're building this uh, app and this, um, this mechanism to collect and analyze reports. Uh, I, I said, Oh, great. I've got, <laughs> I've got a stack uh, waiting um, 
to, to put them in. And, you know, they showed me their prototype and um, I was able to give them feedback, not just on my own encounter, but on some of these others that I've, that I've heard. And I said, okay, you know, this, you know, the app, again, it's very user-friendly. The interface makes sense as, as any good apps do. Uh, they're intuitive. And um, But I said, oh, hey, you know, you asked about this, but there's no place to put you know, this other technical detail or, um, you know, you have all these technical details about the object, um, but you haven't asked whether uh, there's any physiological um, symptoms or, you know, do you hear static on the radio or ringing in your ears or nausea or, or whatever. So um, I was able to give them some feedback Again, because none of them are really UFO people <laughs> or experiencers or, or um, eyewitnesses, um, I, I think that that was helpful to them and their, their development of the tool. Uh, and I was only able to do that because other folks have shared um, these encounters with me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I have had a... a high-ranking scientist who works in um, atmospheric science, meteorology, uh, tell me that, you know, when they were a a postdoc very early in their career that they encountered something strange and um, didn't have any explanation for it. And there were other eyewitnesses, you know, they were with a group of people and this thing happened. And uh, they said, you know, this is why we do science. This is, you know, I have a PhD and I'm, you know, at this big level at this big institution and um, I saw a UFO. But that's why we continue to study and uh, collect information and try to make sense of it because there are things out there that we don't understand. And um, and then they gave me a lecture on lenticular clouds. <laughs> they always get a bunch of inquiries anytime there's a lenticular cloud in the area because people are like, oh there's a UFO and they yeah. you know this is you know this is how they're formed and this is you know why they look that way and it's not a flying saucer and I said okay so you're very quick to dismiss other people's UFO sightings as clouds <laughs> but you and they said yeah 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 <laughs> except <laughs> not, not yeah. a lenticular cloud <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think we can all agree on that for sure. Um, so uh, let's see. Yes, yeah, there, there are there are people out there um, that you know pilots and, and others who I would consider to be credible witnesses uh, who you know have um, you know advanced degrees and uh, extensive training and um, have no reason to um, you know pull a prank or otherwise uh, you know sort of. I, I don't quest, question their um, mental capacity in any way, uh, but if they saw something strange again, they don't they don't know where to report it or how to report it. So, okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, this is one of our probably one of our most popular questions. Uh, there's been a lot of you know debate back and forth on the Tic Tac video that Chad Underwood filmed. Um, and a lot of people wanted to know, Alex, did you ever see any other video except what that was shown to the public, the video that we've all seen for years now? Um, did you ever see anything longer, anything more clear, um, anything like that? Is that something you can even 
speak to? So when we came back, this other aircraft launched. So our two, two ship came back, our two aircraft came back with our four air crew on board and another single aircraft launched uh, with Chad in the back seat and, uh, and his pilot. They looked for, found, and recorded the FLIR footage uh, that we believe to be the same thing, uh, that the same tic-tac that we encountered um, just one cycle. And when I say cycle, so on an aircraft carrier, we're launching and recovering in cycles um, that are about an hour uh, in length, but there's a bit of an overlap. So, you know, we're in the same airspace and we're in the same you know, relative time as, as when the folks on the Princeton are seeing the radar hits uh, and when we had the visual encounter and then um, Chad and his pilot pick up and record on the FLIR. So when they came back, uh, we had been debriefing the Intel folks, uh, talking to other people in the squadron, uh, and then they plugged in this tape into, we call it a stack, so it's this video uh, players, tape players, uh, and we all gathered around and we watched uh, several times this um, black and white uh, FLIR footage. It's was much clearer, uh, the resolution, uh, than what you see um, now if you just Google Tic Tac video, um, because it was the original tape, <laughs> you know, it was this, um, uh, not a copy of a copy of a digital copy kind of thing. Um, so yes, we, we watched that and, um, we were confident that what we were seeing was what we had seen visually, um, just a short time earlier. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. What was there any other distinguishing factors or or anything else dramatic that occurred in the video you saw? And again, I know some of this may be still classified and whatnot, but um, anything that we have not seen in the public that was seen on this video? No, I mean it's. Yeah, again, people are really just holding on so tightly and trying to wring every last bit of information <laughs> out of this um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, video clip. Um, and I don't think that you're going to find anything else there. I think you need to move on and say, how do we collect more and better data and information from the UAP encounters that are happening today and tomorrow and next week, uh, you know, instead of trying to wring out <laughs> uh, more information from something that happened almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Move on. I think that's the key <laughs> here, guys. Um, well, this one is not so much moving on, but it, it is a question that I think a lot of people have as well, Alex. Um, the sort of roiling waters that were described uh, by Fravor and a possible object under the water. Do you know, was that ever investigated? We don't hear a lot about that aspect of this entire thing and, and the testimony behind that. Do you, was there anything done about that aspect to the entire Tic Tac event? Um, like what would have been done? I don't know. 
I, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that is a good question. I can't pretend it. Something that we reported uh, real time on the radio for sure. I mean, we were all, that's actually how I got a visual on the Tic Tac is because somebody said, Hey, look in the water. Uh, And we saw this churning water. Um, I thought in the first moment that whatever we had been vectored to intercept had crashed uh, and my heart sank because I thought, you know, we went from go get them to, oh, now we're unseen commanders for a search and rescue effort. And then the Tic Tac zoomed across. <laughs> and so I don't know that I would have picked up because it was moving so quickly and so erratically. I don't know that I would have picked up my visual tally on the Tic Tac if it hadn't crossed over that roiling water. Um, mm. Yeah. So, and then we went to look for that again, because that was sort of our anchor point uh, of where we had first encountered it. You know, when we lost visual, we said, okay, look back in the water, everything's calm. We can't pick that up again. Um, so I don't know whether they're related. I think it would be irresponsible to suggest that they are. Uh, mm-hmm. but it was a data point. It was something that we included in our debrief with the, uh, Intel folks in the chain of command, uh, and you know subsequent um, you know debriefs in the Pentagon with folks. You know it's certainly an interesting uh, detail. But um, yeah, I, I don't know whether there was any other uh, systematic uh, follow through or investigation. Again, I was a lieutenant JG at the time. Um, yeah. There's Ensign and Lieutenant JG <laughs> uh, and Lieutenant, you know, so I had, had very little um, uh, rank or authority or anything. Right. It, it's not, hey, Alex, go check out that roiling water over there, please. Um, yeah. You, know, you, you have to do these in front of But, you know, at the time, <laughs> my situational awareness was low and my, um, you know, level of responsibility. And, and um, I had somebody who was actually... It was actually when we were talking to um, on the Hill at, at Congress, and somebody said, well, why didn't you go to the USS Princeton and um, follow up with the radar operator? And I, I said, sir, I was, on, I was on an entirely different ship <laughs> in the Pacific Ocean. You know, I'm on a different vessel. How, like, how, would, I, how would I get to the other ship, <laughs> first of all? <laughs> Uh, without, you know, a lot of um, logistics. And, and I was a Lieutenant JG. It wasn't my place to um, investigate or follow up or follow through in that way. You know, I yeah. debriefed to the Intel folks, debriefed to the chain of command, and then it was out of my hands. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people forget, too, uh, the split-second reactions that uh, pilots go through, especially when you're observing something you've never really seen before your first thoughts are not okay make sure i'm recording this properly all right let me start writing down every single detail of what i'm like i can't even imagine everything that's going through your mind um let alone pushing a ufo into that picture and dealing with that during an exercise it's it's amazing yeah and and it's spoken to this before that this was happening during an administrative phase of flight. So we just launched, we'd just taken off. We were just doing our rendezvous and our initial, you know, fuel checks and, um, you know, getting our, everything sort of set to head to the cap point. 
to then begin our military exercise, you know, so to go into tactical mode. That's when we would turn on our tapes. That's when we would, you know, get ready to, to do all those things. And so the fact that we were interrupted in our normal flow uh, and we were in this administrative, um, you know, sort of takeoff mode, um, we weren't thinking about recording and uh, it was it was not part of our normal checklist. And so we really, um, that that's another thing that I'm, um, you know, when I talk about this and advocate for having a clear channel to report and a template to follow is to say, hey, uh, and this would be for the op- the radar operators on the Princeton, if you're seeing weird hits <laughs> for days, if not weeks, uh, before you vector pilots to get a visual, give them a heads up. Tell them <laughs> what we're, what, because, I mean, I don't know that they expected us to see anything. I think they really thought that it was just weird stray trons in their system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were as surprised as we were when we said, ah, there's something here. <laughs> um, but, you know, it really would have been um, not just the professional thing to do, but the more productive thing to do would be to pre-brief us and say, hey, we're seeing weird hits. They don't make sense. But we're going to send you out to get a visual um, and see see if there's something there. There, in that case, we would have you know, had our binoculars prepped. We we have binoculars. We, you know, we would have had our. Um, I think I don't know if GoPros were a thing at that point, but people had personal sort of cameras and gear that we could have strapped onto our helmets and used our um, recording system in the jet. But you know, we would have taken a much more. Uh, collective you know we're in a collection posture then we're going out to do this military training exercise with these very specific mm-hmm. tactical objectives that we were sort of calibrated to right yeah. interesting um last two questions on the tic-tac i promise and then we will wrap things up alex um let's see here uh the german dude on uh twitter asks uh, on a more personal level, has this experience changed you at all, religiously, spiritually, your your thoughts, your beliefs? Um, and then kind of on the flip side of that, did you experience any sort of like physiological or, or emotional uh, effects during this event? I, I guess that's a two-pronged question there. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have a come to Jesus moment or... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, um, no, it didn't change me or my faith or, uh, my beliefs at all. Uh, I certainly was excited. I had a roller coaster of emotions, uh, in, in the few minutes of the, uh, event, you know, from getting vectored to go intercept an unknown thing we thought maybe it was drug runners coming up the coast from Mexico, um, you know, and that sort of had an exciting, oh, we're going to go get the bad guys. Uh, and then, again, my heart sinking when I thought that they had crashed. And then, you know, the tic-tac entering stage left and <laughs> uh, sort of, wow, oh, what is that? You know, so shock and awe and confusion. And, you know, so I, I sort of hit all of the emotional um, keys uh, very quickly, but it wasn't, um, traumatic. Again, I don't have nightmares or 
relive the experience. Um, you know, there were there everything was sort of buzzing for a day or two on the ship afterwards, but then again we refocused and, and got ready to go deploy to you know real world uh, tangible known um, engagements that we had in the Middle East. So. Um, yeah, it, it was really, a, again, a blip on my radar. Hmm. All right. Um, Chris, Chris over at the debrief, actually, how appropriate. Christopher Plain wants to know, is flying upside down as cool as it sounds? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That, that I couldn't ask for a better answer than that. No need for elaboration on that, Chris. I hope that answered your burning question, buddy. Um, you, don't be, you don't have to be a strike fighter pilot, you know, to fly or to fly upside down. There are so many opportunities uh, to get out there and uh, fly. I would encourage folks, you know, just get a few hours. You don't have to even get your full private pilot's license, but um, go out to your local airfield. There's a lot of municipal airports, a lot of flying clubs. Uh, there are a lot of clubs for youth and, um, you know, young eagles and uh, civil air patrol. They could use your support. Uh, even if it's just going out and hanging out at the hangars and doing a, a movie night or something like that. We did um, Girl Scouts at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, which was really fun. Wore a flight suit, talked to the girls all day about flying, and they gave us a case of Girl Scout cookies on the way home. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, anybody who's interested or curious or wants to feel that joy of, uh, of getting airborne, I would encourage you to do it. That's awesome. I, I have had a, quite a few individuals reach out to me and say that, um, you know, their young daughters were inspired by by hearing your story. Not not just about the Tic Tac, but just, you know, the accomplishments you've had. And um, that was super cool to hear. You know, besides the whole UFO aspect of all this, it's clear you're a true inspiration to a lot of people out there as well. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, last question for you. Yeah. Um, what do you want to say? What are any final words to the UFO community out there moving forward? I mean, we're on the precipice of something that we've never really seen in the United States and the world in general. When it comes to this topic, it's more in the forefront than it's ever been before. It's being taken more seriously. Um, what are kind of, I guess, your last words you want to leave our audience with? Oh, I lost your video. No. <laughs> of course. There you are. <laughs> yeah. That's You're back. Fade to black is my last word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for your patience with me. And and that is actually my... Um, my advice, and I was having a few conversations recently in, in the, the DMs uh, of, of Twitter, UFO Twitter, uh, which are that you have to be patient. You have to be patient with each other. We have to be patient with this process. Uh, we have to be patient with uh, you know, the government. <laughs> There's all of this uh, you know, disclosure now and um, release the videos and release the, you know, where's the wreckage and all that. I, having, you know, been on, on the, the, that side, uh, having still connections and folks who are working this issue in the Pentagon and um, going to the NASA panel in the fall and, uh, you know, they're, 
these are these are just people. <laughs> these are just good, honest government servants. You know, they're not doing this for the money. They're certainly not getting paid enough <laughs> to deal with all of the grief uh, that they're putting up with. And um, they're they're trying to work within uh, the the law. You know, there's certainly a lot of regulation uh, about what can be disclosed and how it can be disclosed. Um, and then they're trying to work within their resources. So whether it's manpower, uh, funding for the, the tools and technology, um, you know, there, there's a lot of impatience. And I think Hollywood does us a big disservice because in all of these movies and, and TV shows, you know, the government sort of has this unlimited uh, resource and, and all of these folks, the men in black, you know, behind the scenes working on this issue. I can tell you that it's just a couple of people working at these very austere offices, <laughs> uh, you know, at these like out of date desks with computers <laughs> uh, glitching, you know, and they're trying, they're trying uh, to, to work. And um, there is no conspiracy. There is no, you know, um, sort of, cabal that's happening behind the scenes it's it's good honest hardworking folks that are trying to um trying to do what's right so i would say be patient uh be patient with um each other in this space be patient with the debunkers you know i think they're asking good questions and and if we engage in civil dialogue uh we can all hopefully um come up with the answers that everybody's looking for Absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to give away the ending to your article, but it really spoke to me. You said, um, we barely tasted the sky. And that really stuck with me. And I, I, I think it's so true. We, we know so little about what's up there. And the possibilities are endless. What's that? You know what it's a reference to? The Da Vinci? I don't know. Look it up. Da Vinci. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I gotta, I gotta get back into my art history then, but I loved that. I thought it was a perfect way to kind of, um, to kind of wrap up all of this. You know, there's so much to look forward to and look up to, um, instead of looking back and, and trying to answer these questions. Arrogant to, uh, you know, assume that we have all the answers and that we understand everything. Uh, just as you know, Da Vinci and and his colleagues, uh, you know, at the time. My final thought there is that mm-hmm. you know, it would be really arrogant to assume that we have all the answers or that we've figured everything out. Uh, and so, you know, be patient and be humble. Uh, we need to ask, keep being curious and asking the right questions, but also uh, open-minded and uh, listen as much as we as much as we talk which on a podcast. (laughs) Good point. Good point. No, I think if we all listened a little bit more, we get much further with this conversation. So Alex, I have to thank you. We had a million other listener questions, but we'll have to have you back sometime. But um, no, thank you for being so, um, so open with us tonight. Thank you for your service. And uh, thank you for coming on somewhere in the skies. Thank you.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.